A light in this heavy world, an answer to a prayer. Get close to heaven with a trek through the air. Hello, and welcome back to Jawadawa, part three. Shit gets weird. Tuesday. Scene 12, The Orkin Man. Scene opens on the drop-off area outside the airport. The Orkin exterminator van pulls up in the loading zone. It is riddled with suction cup-tipped arrows, and a few inflatable tomahawks appear to be stuck in the grill on the wipers. Around the antenna, there is a large, torn banner wrap that seems to read, JWA selfishly taking up land needed for my... Rest of text obscured. The driver parks and steps out of the van, obviously shaken. He's in his 30s and has a very lush, full head of hair. He's carrying one of those exterminator tank sprayer things. Reynolds steps off the curb and waves him over. So glad you can make it. The, the protests aren't so bad today. M midweek slump. Anyway, I'm pretty sure it's just rats this time. Maybe capybaras. Who the hell knows? Well... Hopefully you, huh? <laughs> I'll show you the way. There is a light breeze, and people's hair and jackets flap a bit. The orkin man's face goes slack. A locust lands on Reynolds' shoulder. He brushes it off. Holy Christ. Oh, never mind her. She's harmless. He gestures towards the taxi station where a small crowd has gathered around Jesus and a small group of Hare Krishnas, who seem to be facing each other down in some kind of a verbal battle. Yo mama's so ugly, when she asks for a room at the inn, they put her up in the stables! Oh, oh yeah? Well, your mama's so ugly, she's gotta cremate herself. Oh! Oh, how dare you! Why, yellow mama's so ugly, your daddy never even fucked her! Oh! <laughs> Reynolds shakes his head in admiration. Damn, that was savage. I need to remember that one. He takes a little notebook out from his breast pocket, jots something in it while chuckling to himself, and then tucks it back in. Come on, let's make like a baby and leaf. Reynolds drags the ill-looking exterminator through the revolving doors and into the airport. They pass the departures board, listing flights to Brownsville, Fort Dix, Hump Tulips, Butte, etc. They head towards security, where Shaw K. Herbert is just about to go through the metal detectors. Reynolds pauses. There's some kind of brown sludge-like substance oozing down the wall. He stares at it, nudging the Orkin Man. What do you think it is? The Orkin Man steps up to the wall and sniffs the sludge. His knees buckle and he pulls back. Is it possible for shit to vomit cat food? Reynolds pulls out his pocket square and covers his nose and mouth with it. Spray it! Don't say it! Orkin Man uses his portable tank gun thing to spritz the wall. It runs down the wall, creating a gnarly-looking puddle. They both just stare at it. Well, shit. Reynolds grabs the Orkin Man and leads him onward out of frame. Camera tracks down to the puddle as it trickles towards the security area. Cut to Fudgeson walking through the concourse, talking on his cell phone. He heads towards the men's room. In the background, we can see the security area. I don't care if it's eight inches thick and covered in rusty nail heads. I told you I wanted the foot long. He swerves into the restroom. Cut to security. We see a line of people waiting to go through the metal detector. 
Shaw K included. When his turn comes, the TSA agent, who happens to be a rather attractive woman, waves him over. Sir, you've been randomly selected to have a pat down. Shaw K grins and waggles his eyebrows. Good thing I freeballed. The TSA agent pushes Shaw K back into line. In the background, we see an old man slip on the floor and fall on his ass. Shaw K steps through the scanner, and it sets off a siren. A red flashing light begins pulsating on top of the machine. The TSA agent sighs and puts her hand over her face as if weeping. She waves him over. Behind him, we can see an enormously fat man walk towards the metal detector. Okay, spread him. Shaquille grins wildly as the agent passes a wand over his body, which eventually bleeps loudly when it comes to his crotch. Sir, have you got something in your pocket? Oh yeah, sorry. That's just my lunch. Shaquille reaches into his pants and pulls out an enormous cucumber wrapped in tinfoil. As he hands it to the agent, she gets cold feet and fumbles it. It falls to the ground and rolls under the table. In the background, we see the fat man has gotten stuck in the metal detector. As the agent sighs, turns around, and bends down to pick up the cucumber, Shaquille sees his opportunity and smiles as his eyes widen. He raises his hand in front of his face. He bends down the ring finger and then pulls out an imaginary rubber band around his wrist, as if miming putting on and snapping a surgical glove. He makes a little sound with his mouth. Suddenly, there is an enormous cracking sound as the bolts holding down the metal detector behind Shaw snap in two. The entire device topples over and clobbers him amidships, knocking him down and pinning him to the floor, face down with his rear end high in the air. Before anyone can do anything, the wires that had previously powered the metal detector come loose and begin flopping around and sparking making contact with the sludge that's been trickling over. The wires connect with Shaw's backside and his entire body lights up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> he convulses violently for a few seconds before being thrown clear of the wreckage, where he begins to smolder and flame up until TSA comes over with a fire extinguisher and hoses him down. Cut to Reynolds and Orkin walking along the concourse. The lights overhead flicker, and we can hear Shaw K screaming in the background. <coughs> Reynolds glances up, then pulls out his phone and dials. Hoffman, change the light bulbs in concourse B. They're flickering. He snaps the phone shut. Oh, shit. I fired him, didn't I? Orkin looks concerned, but they keep walking. As they head towards the bathroom, Sinbad's sample stand comes into view. There is a glitzy sign hung at the top of the booth advertising Mike Ahone's Custom Sack Magnets. Attached to this sign is a smaller starburst sign that reads, Featuring the Peanuts Gang. Sinbad accosts them. He's wearing a yellow shirt with black jagged horizontal stripes. Attached to the front of his pants, just at the bottom tip of his crotch, is a glossy enameled Charlie Brown about three inches high. It bobs up and down a bit as he walks. He waves down the Orkin man. Feeling a bit low today, sir? Let Snoopy give your boys a lift. He holds out a little metallic two-and-a-half-inch Snoopy. It seemed to have some kind of strong magnet attached to the back. 
Uh, does this go in the fridge? No, sir, it's a support magnet for those days when the elastic on your shorts loses its yank. Plus the latest in fashion. I hear Sheila Booth has been wearing them lately on the streets of Milan. Reynolds tries to wave Sinbad away. Sorry, man, not interested in what Miss LaBeef is doing. We got an airport to save. The working man hands Sidbad back the magnet. Th- thanks, man. You got a Lucy? But of course. He reaches into a basket in his booth and fishes out a shiny Lucy. A man of distinction. You're in luck. She's my last one. Sinbad nods as Reynolds and the Orkin man walk off. An older gentleman passes by the booth behind them carrying a golf bag. Who there, sir? Tired of playing the long ball? Get lost, creep. Sinbad shakes off the hurt and puts on a smile for the next traveler. He grabs some fresh magnets from the booth. Good day there, sir. Now, you look to me like a Linus. Cut to Reynolds and the Orkin man in the bathroom. A good-looking young man poses over at the mirrors, then pats his hair, puts on a thick layer of lipstick, kisses the mirror, and then slinks into a stall. He winks at the Orkin man. You sure this is the place? This is the best-smelling room I've been in in two hours. It almost reminds me of actual human feces. Well, this is where the problem starts, I'm sure of it. You aren't much of an engineer, are you? It's not where it starts that matters, it's where it goes. We gotta follow these pipes. I'm a better engineer than your mom. They exit the bathroom. The working man is holding some kind of tricorder device in one hand and some sort of metal wand in the other. They meander down to the baggage claim and into the back room behind the baggage belts. It's hot as hell in here and the machinery is dripping strange fluids on the two of them as it clanks along. Occasionally a small bag or box gets pile-driven by a couple giant suitcases and pops over the rim, landing with a crunch on the floor. The room is littered with such bags, some quite dusty and even covered in cobwebs. The smell is apparently getting worse as they go, as the Orkin man now holds a cloth over his face and is leaning against the wall for support. The Orkin man points towards the far back. What's behind this door? No idea. My groundskeeper would have a key, but I, I fired him. This must be some kind of central access station. All the pipes lead down into here. Can you get it open? Just bust the lock. It's old. I'll pay for the damages. The working man shrugs. He pulls a crowbar out of his tool bag and pops the door open. Both he and Reynolds visibly stagger back. Working man doubles over. Oh, fuck. I think I just lanced one of Satan's hemorrhoids. I'll, I'll get a fan. The working man wretches a bit. <coughs> then fumbles around for a light switch. He finally pulls out a flashlight and shines it in the little room. Holy shit! These are some weird rats you got, man. Reynolds and the Orkin man peer into the gloom. In the cramped plumbing access room, there is a tall buffalo skin teepee erected. Animal skins cover the floor. Atop them is a thick layer of taco bags, empty beer cans, dirty clothes, and wadded up Kleenex. The remains of a campfire are smoldering at the center of the teepee. Scattered around the area can be seen various battered copies of Boobs and Buns, Hot Squaw, and Ebony Magazine. 
Posters for various John Wayne movies line the walls. The Orkin man moves in slowly, kicking at the trash and poking at various objects with his flashlight. Reynolds follows him warily. After a while, the Orkin man seems to have made up his mind. I think I see your problem, man. With all this junk in here, nobody has maintained these pipes in years. What I, I think you need is a good clean-out. I got a pump in my truck. I'll, I'll bring it down here, but this job won't be cheap. I got you covered, man. Whatever it takes. The Orkin man smiles and nods. Suddenly, there is a loud scurrying noise from above. As if something too fat to fit through the vents is pulling itself through them as fast as it can. They both look up. It's gonna take a lot. Cut to Fudgeson being dragged from the men's room by a couple of airport cops. Get, get your hands off me! What, what's this all about? You're under arrest for solicitation, pal. That guy in the next stall was an undercover cop. This is ridiculous! Do you have any idea who I am? I don't care if you're Mike Pence, buddy. You're going to the Slammer, where you can get all the dirty pipe you want. Listen, fellas, this, this is all a misunderstanding. I've just got what you call a wide stance. Wide stance, huh? Tell it to the judge, perv Griffin. Butcherson starts tapping his toes. You're gonna regret this, officer. He gestures wildly, smiling like a true showman and snapping his fingers. Hit it, boys! From all sides, baggage handlers and skycaps, gruff-looking construction guys and drag queens converge, and the song and dance number, The Wide Stance Song, commences. Some squatting, I spread my cheeks. It saves from spotting. He's got a wide, wide stance. Don't be bitter like a quitter. You can titter on the Twitter that I drop my litter in the shitter like John Ritter. He's got a wide, wide stance. My feet go hither, yon and thither. You might say I do the scissors. He's got a very wide stance. So I drop some paper. That's the caper. It got knocked down by my gaper. Such an awful wide stance. Crack is clean, it's the cleanest, just as clean as the queen is, far too clean for your penis. He's got a wide, wide
Jenny wanders through the dancers at one point, looking pretty shit-faced. A couple of paramedics on their way to security get caught up in the choreography. The number ends with Fudgeson doing jazz hands in the cops' faces. Heh! Put that in your dirty pipe and smoke it. He flicks his business card at them. He hits the cop in the chest and falls to the ground. Camera cuts to show the card. It reads, Willie Fudgeson, Federal Aviation Administration Commissioner. And then in his handwriting, call me, 808-555-3923. Cut back to security. The paramedics are pulling a sheet over the fat guy. We see the Orkin man wheel something large and heavy past. If only we hadn't gotten caught up in that dance number. The other paramedic hums the wide stance song as he goes to check on Shaw K. <laughs> Cut to the TP room. Reynolds watches Orkin Man hook up his machinery to some kind of access port. Orkin Man holds out the end of an extension cord. Okay, man, I got her cranked up to 11. You sure you're ready for this? Well, what do you mean? Hey, pipes this old and this backed up. Anything can happen. Put the junk under pressure and it's gonna go somewhere. You never know where the weakest link is gonna be. But it needs to be done, right? It needed to be done last century. Well, sometimes in life you just gotta rip the band-aid off. Orkin Man hands Reynolds the plug. All right, you're the boss. Do you wanna do the honors? Heck yeah, let's plug this baby in. He finds an outlet and plugs in the pump, psyching himself up as he does. Airport GM of the year, here I come. The pump shudders and emits a sound like a jet engine in a blender. Cut to the B-gates. There's a bonbon shop about halfway down the concourse with a sign proclaiming Choco.net factory outlet. Out front, there is a chocolate fountain going, where children are smiling, holding cups and apples and things under the silky flowing brown waves. Peter Tucker is amongst them, dressed as a doctor. He is dipping the end of a pipette into the chocolate and making notes in a journal. Suddenly the ground rumbles and people look around a bit, wondering if this is the big one. But then it calms down, and then a massive chocolate fart erupts out of the chocolate slurry. A little girl laughs and leans in to get a mouthful. And suddenly the ground rumbles again, and the chocolate fountain explodes. Flinging hot, molten chocolate over everyone within 20 feet. Tucker is drenched. People begin screaming and flailing. The front side of the little girl is completely covered in a thick shell of runny, sticky chocolate. She begins to cry. A wave of first responders comes running over with towels and napkins, wiping faces, throwing cups of water on the victims, and desperately trying to prevent permanent burns. Just as they kick into action, though, there is another rumble. And the remains of the fountain explode again. This time with some other kind of sticky brown liquid. And this begins spewing out like someone has driven a truck over a shit fire hydrant. It goes on for a ridiculously long time, like 10 seconds or so. There are screams of horror and wailing and the gnashing of teeth as the crowd is utterly drowned in liquid diarrhea. Finally, 
The fountain spews no more, and there is a moment of hushed silence as everyone just stands there, dripping and stunned. This lasts maybe three seconds. Finally, someone screams, a horrible moaning cry of lamentation. And then everyone slowly sinks down into the fetal position, weeping. Jawadawa, scene 13, Scalp Problems. Scene opens in the TP room. Orkin Man has night vision goggles on and a Ghostbusters looking apparatus hooked onto his back. But his uniform is a dark blue and it's vaguely reminiscent of a U.S. cavalry officer's. He kicks at the piles of trash on the floor. Reynolds, looking queasy, hovers near the doorway. Uh, I think I'll just leave you to it. Too many cooks, you know. He claps the Orkin man on the shoulder and scuttles out of the place. Orkin man psychs himself up. Uh, okay, Kevin, you, you got this. The fluorescent lights overhead flicker. Something overhead pops. He crouches, leafs through a tattered copy of Kickapoo Grannies, and stuffs it in his back pocket. He stands, clicks on his night vision, and moves deeper into the room. Cut to Reynolds hurrying back towards his office. He comes across the wreckage of the chocolate fountain disaster. He stops dead in his tracks and his jaw drops, but he quickly shuts it as the stench hits him. He turns and books it in the other direction. Unfortunately, he ends up slipping in some of the choco fecal slurry. Each time he tries to get up, he just slips down again. This goes on far too many times. Whoops. Cut to Orkin Man. He's crouching in a small enclosed area. Behind him we can see a small opening through which is visible the teepee. He's found some kind of crawl space or something. We see his point of view. It looks like some kind of tunnel, ending in a tea branch a few feet ahead. Huh, weird. Must be some kind of old maintenance tunnel. Something behind him clatters and he whirls to look. As he is facing the other way, something scurries through the T-branch, causing him to whip back around again. We see him grinning in his faceplate. Gotcha. Come sit on Uncle Kevin's lap, you varmint. He steps lightly into the tunnel. Cut to Reynolds squelching along the concourse, literally dripping with shit. Jenny emerges from a janitor's closet, holding a joint and a lighter. I got a wild stain. She's about to fire it up when she sees Reynolds. Oh, hi, boss. Reynolds doesn't even stop. She looks at him, looks around at the shitty mess, and then turns around and goes back into the closet. Cut back to Orkin Man. He's on the trail of something. We see him trailing a shadowy figure through the tunnels. We hear something like the far-off sound of war drums, but it could also just be some kind of machinery. The shadowy figure makes a sharp right, and the noise stops. Working man flexes his hand on his sprayer thing, then lifts his goggles. I'm gonna be eating good tonight. He edges around the corner. An old pipe creaks overhead and partially collapses, striking his hand. He accidentally sprays himself in the face with his orkin spray. 
As he stumbles around wiping his eyes, we see the shadowy figure emerge from the, well, the shadows. It is a ghostly-looking Indian brave. On his bare chest is a tattoo that looks like a dog dragging its ass on the ground. This is Scoots on Rug. When Orkin Man's vision finally clears, he finds himself in a wide-open salt flat under the blazing sun, face-to-face with Scoots. What the... Even unto the spirit world, your people hunt us. Your greed and lust for that which is not yours befouls all things. Wait, wait, wait a second. Where, where am I? Spirit world? I'm just looking for the rat. And you have found him. For the rat is you. Scoots creepily quickly grabs Orkin Man by the hair. Orkin Man screams and twists and turns trying to get free. Oh, hey, ah, but Scoots draws a Chris knife and slashes quick across Orkin Man's dome, scalping him. Ah! Orkin Man's body falls to the ground. We see now he is back in the teepee room, his head bloody. Cut to Reynolds' office. He emerges from the airplane bathroom, cleaned up and wearing a jogging suit. He sits at his desk and pulls a bottle of Thunderbird from his drawer and swigs from it. He looks at his watch. How to be done by now, right? He digs out his flip phone and dials. Kevin! Kevin, you there? Working dude? Yo! Anyone home? He snaps the phone shut and groans. Uh, he gets up and walks out of his office. Cut to the B Gates kiosk area. There is a mess of yellow police tape, orange cones, etc., but it's been cleaned up somewhat. A sign bearing a smiling image of John Wayne proclaims, Pardon our mess, but perhaps you'll find what you're looking for at our world-class food court, just three minutes away. A random businessman walks up to the mess, reads the sign, checks his watch and curses, and hustles down the hall. Cut to the food court, where people seem to have mostly recovered from the day's antics and are lining up at Cinnabon and Bob Dylan's soft-serve somebody, where a sandwich board advertises, where everybody must get coned. We see the businessman come hustling into the food court. He sees the lines, checks his watch again, and then curses and hustles back the other direction. Cut to the front counter of Soft Serve Somebody. Bob Dylan is working the register. He's wearing a red and white striped barbershop quartet shirt and a white apron and a paper hat. Maybe a hairnet. A young man steps up to the counter. We see the menu board listing such flavors as... Fudging my lime, a dream I licked St. Aubergine, lay lychee lay, etc. Yeah, can I get two scoops of Quince the Eskimo? Would you like a waffle cone? Cuts a Reynolds barging into the teepee room. He doesn't see the body at first. Hey, uh, Orkin dude, where the hell are you? I've been calling you for ten minutes. That's typical Kevin behavior. He stumbles over the body after wading through the trash. Oh! Oh no! Oh shit! He quickly flattens himself against the wall, panic breathing. <laughs> Looking down at the scalpless Orkin man. Shit! Shit! Is he still on the clock? This is costing a fortune. He kicks the lifeless exterminator with the toe of his wingtip. 
The working man lurches to his feet, holding the top of his head, from which blood is running out. There's a nasty gash at the top of his forehead. Reynolds goes flush. <laughs> working man feels his scalp. <laughs> Reynolds spots something in the pile of trash. He picks it up. Oh my god! Is this yours? He hands Kevin a rather beat up looking hairpiece, a bit bloodstained. The working man snatches the toupee away from Reynolds and then slaps it back down on his head. You people are crazy, that's it! I don't know what kind of sick fucking game you're playing here, but get me out of it! I'm calling my union on you! Good luck hiring another contractor in this town, Buffalo Bill! He picks up his tool belt and staggers out. Cuts a Reynolds and Hamilton in his office. Reynolds is hanging up his phone. He sighs and pinches the bridge of his nose. <laughs> okay, that's all set. Tomorrow morning we have a team of contractors coming in to sweep the place from ass to tits. We'll find the source of all of this. He pours two shots of Thunderbird. Just uh, a shame about Kevin, though. Sir, th these guys, uh, they're, um, how, how do I put this? I expensive. Plus the out-of-town fee, that, that almost doubles it. Reynolds downs his shot. <clears throat> Gotta pay for quality, Ham. Woo! Fuck, that's good. Sir, sir, our, our budget is strained as it is. This is exactly the kind of thing that Fudgeson is gonna use against us. Reynolds pours another. I saved us, what, 57000 by firing Hoffman, didn't I? Plus my secretary quit because of the smell, and I cancelled my limo service. Fudgeson can put that in stall and toe-tap it. He drinks. <laughs> Hamilton sighs and goes to the window, which looks like it has been duct-taped shut. <sighs> Reynolds stands. God damn it, I'm getting hangry. Let's eat. I brought my lunch from home today. I Uber Eats to Greg's Dip last night, and I couldn't eat the whole thing. I've been looking forward to this all day. Reynolds pulls a paper bag out of his desk. He tears it open and pulls out half a sandwich on white bread in a Ziploc bag. That's weird. Does this look like a Reuben to you? Where's the Thai peanut sauce? He tips the bag over and a bunch of strange chips fall out. God damn it. TSA strikes again. Mother... Fudging lunch racists. I guess every paper bag just looks the same to them. So, sorry, boss. That's the law, the conveyor belt. Sometimes you win, some, sometimes you lose. Like, last week I traded up a day-old tuna melt for a Raffaello's doggy bag full of buco and wild mushroom risotto. Wow, you should have bought a lottery ticket. No kidding, I... It, yeah, you can eat that. I, I skipped breakfast. He pats his belly. Yeah, what the hell? How bad can it be? I mean, it's just lunch. He takes a few bites of the sandwich. Oh, nuts. I think it's vegan. Tastes like cactus or something. He nibbles on a few chips. These are weird. You think these are tarot? Hamilton shrugs and walks out.
Chihuahua, scene 14, sack lunch. Scene opens on the food court. We see Jenny waiting in line at Dean Martin's. That's zucchini. The booth is slick and modern, with large glossy posters of Dean Martin smiling and eating zucchini. Music plays from loudspeakers outside the restaurant. The soundtrack is all Dino hits with the words changed to the subject of zucchinis. Currently it is alternating between that zucchini. When the zook hits your pie hole, your great pizza pie hole, that zucchini. When that green thing's inside and you've had quite a ride, that's zucchini. And, uh, zucchini. Zucchini. Whoa. Zucchini. Whoa. Once you give in to the zook in cheesecake and saucer and soup. You'll be pleased with your skin, your bowels work again, you'll be never afraid to go poop. Zucchini. The line is being slow, and Jenny appears to be getting impatient. She keeps checking her Fitbit for the time. Oh, come on. Finally, her phone begins to bleep. She groans and pulls it out, flipping it open. There's a notification from the... Air Traffic Commander app. She clicks on it, and there's an icon of a plane on the screen. Below it reads, United JW-454. A little red blinking warning bar at the top reads, Low Fuel. There are two buttons on the screen, Land and Circle. Oh, fuck off! She taps Circle angrily and snaps the phone off, shoving it back in her pocket. Just then, she notices Nick Reynolds wandering through the food court, like he's in some kind of trance. He's moving really slow as if he's swimming through jello. He occasionally twirls and holds his hands out in front of his face as if they're really fascinating. She hurries over to him. Y- you okay, boss? I do my own shaving. <laughs> w- what? Look out! He grabs her and drags her behind a table outside the orange Julius. Crouching and pulling her down, he appears to be hiding from something. Tarnation! Engines! Excuse me? What? Reynolds shushes her. Shh. Quiet. They're savages, and a young, fertile white squaw such as yourself would be prime slave material. At this, Jenny's eyebrows go up and she peers around expectantly. Who? Where? He grabs her arm and pulls her back, duck-walking them into and knocking over a garbage can. He flattens himself to the floor. Get down, Jenny! Nick, what the hell is wrong with you? That's a Reynolds point of view. We see the food court has morphed into a hazy, prairie-like plain, dotted with driftwood tables, water barrels where the trash cans were, and ramshackle timber kiosks standing in for the food court booths. There's no sense of the walls or roof of the airport. Among the tall grasses, we see an Indian brave, this one with a spread-winged eagle painted on his face. This is Spread Eagle. He is holding his stomach and searching through the grasses, as though looking for something. Suddenly he looks very nervous and doubles over. Reynolds looks over at Jenny and claps his hand over her mouth. She licks his palm and he whips it off of her. The brave lifts his leather flaps and squats. Oh no! Oh no! No, 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 no! Reynolds cowers and covers his head. 
Jenny, whose point of view is, of course, just the normal airport, struggles to her feet and stares down at Reynolds. All the times I could have been high as shit at work, and I didn't. And look at you. That's it. I'm going up to the tower to do lines. Her phone beeps again. She angrily takes it out. We don't see what it says as she stalks off, stabbing at the screen with her finger. Ugh, just fucking crash already. Cut back to Reynolds' point of view. The Brave is squatting almost an arm's reach from Reynolds, who is mortified. The Brave gets a sad look in his face, then grimaces. A huge jet of brown shit explodes from his ass, and he groans. <laughs> Cut back to normal airport. Reynolds bug-eyed, staring at where the Brave is in the spirit world. In reality, he's just staring at an empty patch of linoleum. A fat guy carrying a tray of gooey Cinnabons walks right into the spot where the spirit shit is and slips. Falling and spilling the whole tray down his front butt, he screams and rolls around on the floor. Reynolds sees him rolling in spirit shit and scuttles away. The man starts bellowing about how there's no danger wet spot sign and he's going to sue this damn airport for breaking his ass. Reynolds uses the counter of soft serve somebody to haul himself up. He sees Bob Dylan as a cowboy licking a smoking gun barrel. All around the food court, people are starting to retch and cough and gag. We hear shouts of, What is that smell? And, Oh God, I'm going to puke. And, Herman, did you have an accident again? Reynolds turns to Dylan. What's happening, Sheriff? Bob Dylan licks the gun. Some kind of idiot wind. The smell finally wafts over, knocking into Reynolds like a punch in the face. He staggers back, retching. Oh, God, what the hell is that? He dry heaves, choking. Oh, God, it's getting worse. Pandemonium erupts in the food court. The crowd panics and starts rushing to get out to fresh air. They're knocking over tables and garbage cans, punching each other to get out of the miasma of stank. Reynolds looks on horrified. For the most part, he's back in the real world, but every now and then we see an Indian brave or squaw milling calmly through the crowd. No one else seems to notice. He books it out of the food court, fumbling for his phone, cycling through numbers. Joe Frank? No. Ham? No. Jenny? Jenny? No. Glewis? What? Why the fuck do I have Glewis's number in here? Sharon Cox? Jesus fuck. He snaps the phone shut and jogs towards his office. As he rounds a corner, he sees an old Indian squaw who looks remarkably like Bo Diddley clawing at the wall, ripping long ribbons of wallpaper off and screeching maniacally. She looks dead at Reynolds and points right at him and babbles incoherently. Then goes back to trashing the wall and wailing. In the background, we see a passing airport security guard. Security! Hey, over here! The guard comes towards Reynolds, walking right past the squaw without seeming to notice her. Help you, hoss? Uh, yeah. He points at the squaw. Can you do something about her? The guard turns to look. Her? No, not her. Fucking Judy Denuda. Yes, her. The guard looks again. 
Hoss, you, you really gonna waste my time when there's a damn-ass riot going on in the food court? The guard goes off, shaking his head. Reynolds looks about ready to spit nails. When he looks at the squaw, though, she is gone, and there's no trace of damage to the walls. As Reynolds departs in a huff, Judy Tenuta walks out from a door marked Mile High Club, C-Level Division, dragging an accordion and looking torn up. As she passes, the wallpaper wilts and falls off. Jawadawa, scene 15, burn it down. Scene opens out on the airfield somewhere. It is dusk. One of the protesters, uh, Chris T. Himmelfart, is prowling around an old maintenance hangar building out in the outer rim. They are wearing a black medical mask and a ski cap to disguise their identity. They are still quite recognizable by the shock of blue hair sticking out from under the hat. Below the neck, they are wearing some torn-up jeans and a Baltimore Skipjacks jersey. Number 17, Steve Carson. In one hand, they are carrying a gas canister, and with the other, they are collecting trash and dry brush and adding it to a large pile of old junk that is stacked against the back wall. They are just about finished when frantic scrabbling can be heard from the other side of an old rusty door that leads out to the back. They quickly stash the gas can in the trash pile. The lock clanks and the door is roughly forced open. From inside the hangar comes Jack Hoffman. He looks a little scruffy since he got fired. He's moving quickly and a bit erratically, as if he needs to find a bathroom. He is hatless and wearing a flannel shirt with leather chaps over cut-off nut huggers. In one hand, he holds a battered copy of Atlas Shrugged with about half of the pages torn out. He startles when he sees someone standing by his trash. Not half as much as Chris T, though. Jesus Christ, what, what are you doing here? Rooting for the nuggets, lady. What do you want? Himmelfart is obviously upset by Hoffman's presumptive gendering, but does not have time to complain before Hoffman shoves them out of the way. Come on, move it! Can't a man have some privacy? He pushes past her and squats over the trash pile. Takes a few deep breaths. Hoffman takes out his book and starts to read the first page which is actually page 132 or so, then realizes he has company, gets embarrassed, and puts his book down. He goes to rip out a page, then realizes he hasn't read it yet, and instead grabs an old Del Taco napkin out of the trash pile and cleans himself up. Infart just stands and stares at the pile, realizing that if they are going to burn the place down, they will have to get their gas can back out of that pile. Hoffman does up his chaps. This is the best spot, you know? That's the problem I brought you here. What? To hear the voice, you know, the... He leans in and whispers. The airport. I'm dead, you old goat. Not deaf. I can still hear you. Hoffman whirls around and waggles his finger at the airport. Shut up, I'm not talking to you. You cost me my job. Eh, who are you talking to? What? You mean you don't hear that? Hear what? Ah! Ah! Dude looks like a lady. Or does the lady look like a dude? You you really don't? It, it's offensive as fuck. Uh, no. Tell him she's got a thick ass. 
Okay, uh, close your eyes and just, just listen. Hoffman takes a deep breath and closes his eyes. He holds his arms out to his side and looks as if he is meditating. What do you hear? Himmelfart humors him and decides to give it a shot. Um, The wind, I guess. The wind across the Great Plains. I'm about to make a wind. Uh, Yeah, maybe. It's peaceful. Do you hear the buffalo? Buffalo wings, maybe. The digested kind. What in the turf are you talking about? Who even are you? Do you work here? Do you live here? Hoffman scratches at his armpits and his nuts. Uh, maybe yes, uh, maybe no. Let's just say I got some time on my hands. You want to have some of him on your hands, amigo? She's a fine hombre. Airport says you're hot, by the way. Excuse me, who? What is all this? Ah, a feisty heifer. You gotta break him like a filly, son. Hoffman turns to the airport. Shut up, old man. I I know that. He turns his attention back to Himmelfart. Okay, where was I? Oh yeah, you hear the buffalo. You hear the war cry, the Sioux, the Kiowa, the proud Cherokee nation. Himmelfart scrunches their nose. Uh, mostly I just smell something. I think it's you. God damn it. Give her a snootful, partner. A guy like her knows his way around a body's stench. Hoffman turns back to the airport. Stop that cork in your word hole. If, I, if I'm gonna give it the old Altoona schooner, it's gonna be my own way. The, the what? Hoffman waves their question away. L- listen to the wind. Himmelfart interrupts. Look, I was just trying to find somewhere to uh, crash for the night. The protest. We're planning a midnight vigil at the food court, and I was hoping. They kick around in the pile a bit, looking for their gas to catch a few winks before it got started, but I'll mosey along, seeing as this place is occupied. Occupado, senorita. He'll be out in a jiffy. Hoffman turns around at B-Rate Airport. While his back is turned, Himmelfart digs with their foot through the pile of garbage and shit, trying to get their can. Oh look, he's got a sweet can. Hoffman turns around quick to see them grab for the can. Oh damn! She does have a nice can. Tell me, little lady, what can that can do? What can this can do? What do you think this can can do? The can can? Well, maybe not, but it can sure blow you to smithereens, you normie pig. Hear that? She wants to blow you. Damn it! Shut up! I, I heard him. Yeah, I know what it is. What you got planned with that gas can, muchacha? What am I gonna do? I'm gonna do some justice. I'm gonna do what the Plains Indians did when they saw the white man coming and burn the prairie before them. I'm gonna purify this sacred land. Every trace of the white man's filth, I'm going to burn this fucking airport down. Uh oh, that sounds spicy. I'm not sure my colon can handle this right about now. Oh yeah. 
I recognize you now. You remember I used to drive past you protesters and throw my empty Colt 45s at you guys. Bunch of entitled white folks thinking they can speak for the red man. <clears throat> Got their buckskins in a twist over some dumb old cowboy actor. Hey, keep a civil tongue in your head, you confounded bulb. Hell, what difference does it make who the place is named after? John Wayne, a racist and a mediocre actor at best. Walt Disney, racist and a cultural imperialist. Obama, drone bomb the shit out of half the colored world. Charo, faked a birth certificate. That's a problem with renaming shit. New people are just as shitty as the old ones. Everyone sucks the big chowder hose in the end. Well, what about the Octachaman International? Himmelfart just gets a blank look from Hoffman. Hello, the Octachaman, the original indigenous people of Orange County. Yeah, but what about the Tongva? You gonna build a second airport and name it after them? They were here too. Well, fuck it all. Might as well just burn it all down. They slosh their gas can dramatically, looking at Hoffman with new respect. You really know your shit, huh? Hoffman gestures to the pile of shitty paperback pages. Yeah, well, I read a lot. Want to fight the power? They heft the gas can as if cheersing a drink. All that with one teeny little can? Mister, you're gonna need a shit ton more than that. Hoffman pulls an old tarp off the junk pile, uncovering several old oil drums. Himmelfart gapes at Hoffman, then rushes into his arms. The two of them roll under the tarp. Airport offensively hums the bass riff from Ass or Pussy by Piss Hitler as they do it. Bom, 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 Bum 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 b